Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. And if you have your Bible or your technology, go ahead and open it up to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to continue our series that we entitled, I Love the Will of God. Amen. Everyone together, say after me, I love one more time, loud. I love the will of God. Amen. I want the will of God. I desire the will of God. And I love the will of God. And my goal these weeks in the month of June is to help answer questions about God's will. And my hope is to ultimately help direct you in hitting and apprehending the prize of the will of God for your life. Now, last week, before we dove into the teaching time, I, I read to you a verse that Jesus said. Many of you may remember the verse. Remember when he said, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says unto me will enter the kingdom of heaven. You remember that verse? But he, who does he say enters? Only those who what? Do the will of my Father. So the will of God is incredibly Important. You cannot say Jesus is Lord of your life and then somehow try to avoid or circumvent the reality of his will for your life. Now, I just want to read another verse because I can't teach on every verse in the Bible concerning the will of God. But I just I just want to throw some verses even before we get started in Philippians out of Jesus mouth again. I want to read a passage in Mark 3, verse 35. Listen to this. He says, For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. Isn't that an interesting passage? You know what I heard God say out of that passage? This is what I heard the Lord say, that if you want to be a part of the family of God, then it's important you do the will of God. You can't be in the family and not do the will. That's what Jesus is saying. And I know in the day and age we live in, uh, that uh, is almost radical to say that. But it is true. So this is important stuff. And last week we asked the question, whose will do you really love? Do you love your will or do you love God's will? And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm asking this rhetorically to you. How many of you went home, found the time, and decided whether or not you're going to sign the blank contract? I hope you thought about that. We aren't going to put you on the spot or make you lie in the congregation. I'm believing everybody went home and they either said, well, Lord, you know, I signed it years ago. I signed it or you signed it and put it before the Lord and just said, Lord, whatever you want for my life, blank contract, I'll sign it. I trust you. And now you can fill in all the blanks. Amen. That's what it looks like. But let's talk about what that means to find the will of God, because God will indeed fill in the blanks, but the key is that we've got to apprehend and find it as well. So I want to talk about that, because that can get a little dicey at times. And so the lesson, the message today is finding the will of God for your life. And let's read these familiar passages out of Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. And uh, I suspect all of you have heard these passages, read these passages you may have been under a ministry that has taught you these passages. Well, we're going to hear it one more time as we explore this area. As Paul writes, and he's writing it, hear me, out of a prison cell. Oh, have you ever thought the will of God would get you to a prison cell? Oh, my, 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 pastor, let's move on. He's writing and he says this. 
Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Now, the word in the Bible, when you see the word perfected, does not mean errorless. Nobody in the room can do life errorless or error-free. So when he talks about being perfected, he's not talking about that he's going to be perfect in the sense that he never makes a mistake. The word perfected in the scripture actually is the word for being made complete or being made whole. Uh, actually becoming more mature. That's what being perfected in the scriptures mean. So, so there is an aspect of you coming into perfection biblically that is accurate. In, in, in other words, God says we can be mature, we can be complete, we can be whole. But he's saying right here, he's saying, I'm not even telling you at this particular point that even all of those things have taken place yet in my life. I'll get back to that. But he says, I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Jesus apprehended you so you could apprehend something in him. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. So if you are in here today and you would say to yourself, well, I feel like I'm a mature believer, then he's talking to you, he's talking to me, because you would think after almost 40 years of walking with the Lord, you could at least say, well, I think I'm getting mature. He's saying, have this mind, that you are pressing towards something greater in God. And he says, and if anything, uh, if, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. Finding the will of God for your life. Let's get started. Maybe some of you read the book by Rick Warren. It was a zillion copy bestseller, <laughs> The Purpose Driven Life. He starts the book out by saying something incredibly profound and on target, and I really liked how he started out the book. It, 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 the first line reads something like this, it's not about you. That's how he starts the book, it's not about you. Now, unfortunately, this isn't what we're being taught in this day and age, the 21st century, by uh, so many high-profile ministries. In fact, you would think, if you read a lot about Christianity, it sounds as if God, the only thing God is about is you. I believe, though, however, God wants good things for you. You believe that? I believe He wants something good for us all. But those good things, last week, are defined in His will and whether you embrace his will or not. And that is a foundational concept of Christianity. And the church in this era is reorienting itself back to a proper perspective. I have a Facebook friend who hikes. I mean, he's like a professional hiker. And uh, lives in the Southwest. And he always puts on Facebook his live shots, photographs of him hiking. He goes to the Grand Canyon. He's actually hiked from one rim of the Grand Canyon to the other rim of the Grand Canyon. And he, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, you can do it in a day, but to do it in a day, I mean, you're clipping along. And he has done this. And so he's, he's my age. I actually went to graduate school with him, and he's my age, and uh, he does this. So he's in really good shape. If you put me out there right now, I'd be in pretty sorry shape. But, but he hikes, 
And uh, while I'm not a sportsman and I'm not a hiker, and if you drop me in the woods, I would be in big trouble. But a hiker has an instrument. In fact, some of you have this very instrument on your iPhones. The instrument is called a compass. And uh, if it's on your iPhone, you can turn your phone, and, and if you bring your compass up on your phone, what that compass will eventually do is it will, it will show you which way is true north. And so if you're a hiker, and there was a day when that's all you had was a compass, even if you were crossing the ocean. But if you have a compass and you can find true north, then you can begin to figure out the directions of, of you know, north, south, east, west, and because of that, hopefully, you can begin to make your way wherever you are, where you need to be. But the only way you can do that is if you find true north. If you can't find true north, you're going to remain lost in the woods. Now, we as the people of God, we as His church, are living in a time period where we have to reorientate ourselves spiritually to what is true north. The reason the church is lost, the reason so many people are lost, is because they have lost their compass and, and they can't find true north. And we need to understand that life for the believer is not primarily about what we think makes us happy. See, that's not true north. True north in your life is, that must be God because it's going to make me happy. No, 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 no. True north is not what makes you happy. True north is what gives God glory. That's a significant reorientation that's going to have to take place. Now hear me, we talked about it last week. You could go watch the message last week. That God has something good for you, but His something that is good for you is good to find within His eyes and His will. You can be making millions of dollars. You can have all the toys there are to offer mankind. You can have three beach homes, one mountain home. You can have a home in the Midwest on the lake. And you can be completely discontent. You may think at times you're happy, but if it's not in the will of God, you'll never find true joy. Now hear me. I'm not saying that your joy and His will will not intersect. The Bible says this, interestingly, the Bible says that when Jesus looked at the cross, this is what the Hebrew writer said, he said that, the, that, uh, that Jesus Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered, and because of the cross that was set before him, it was joy looking at the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now hear me, the cross is not pleasant. But there was a joy knowing you're accomplishing the will of God. Can I hear an amen? amen? Come on, man. I'm teaching you stuff that we've got to get a hold of here. The will of God. And if you find the will of God, if you apprehend the will of God, then you're going to find your joy. But that's the question, isn't it? How in the world can I find the will of God? Because there are times it seems really elusive. Is there anyone else but me that feels that way? So Paul is going to help us get started by going back to the Philippians. And he says that there are three important features of the will of God. Three important features. We're finding true north now. It's not what makes you happy. True north is what gives God, what gives God glory. Three features. Number one is this. The will of God should be our chief aim. 
You were apprehended, he said, by Christ to apprehend what he has for you. When Jesus saved you, he saved, this is the thing about the Lord. He's so effective. He saved you because he's going to use you for his will. That's exactly right. He apprehended you so you might apprehend what he has for you to do. Now, it's interesting to me, the will of God, this is, I'm going to give you just some decades insight that I feel like I've learned. I found that the will of God is not always as highly specific or available for every minutia of detail of life that we might like. Now, what I mean by that is this. It seems to me as if God's okay, for instance, at breakfast, if we choose waffles or pancakes. I don't know that there's a will of God in waffles or pancakes. You know, God's will, is there a will for him, for me to wash my car or to mow the lawn? Because I only have so much time. Or should I clean the house or clean the garage? Or should I go to Disney World or Universal Studios? Islands of Adventure. So hear me when I say this. I, I, I think that God has created us with an ability to make certain decisions within the economy of His will that He's okay with us choosing. But what I've also found is that what is a significant thing to us is usually a significant thing to God. And conversely, what is significant to God should be significant to us. Now, what are some things that are, I think should be significant to most people? If they aren't, I think these things should be. For example, who you marry. Now, maybe some people don't think that's all that significant. Well, <laughs> I think you're headed for trouble. That should be significant. And that's significant to God, too, because he tells us who we should yoke to. Um, you know, whoever you marry, their name may not be in the Bible, but their character is in the Bible and you need to find someone. For instance, you should, ladies, marry a Boaz and not a Bozo. Amen. Okay? Amen. I think if it's, it's significant to most people what city they're going to live in. I think it's significant for most people if they're purchasing a house and where the location of that house is going to be. In fact, I would maintain that any large expenditure of your money, which represents a good portion of your time, anything that involves these kind of things, significant things, I think are significant to God, and He might actually have some say into what you should do in that regard. I think your job, I think your career, I think all of these things are significant, and I believe when you come to these significant moments that God may have something significant He'd like to say with regards to that. As I mentioned, conversely, there are some things in the scripture that are significant to God. In fact, before we're done this month, I'm going to actually read to you passages in the Bible that say these words, for this is the will of God for you. So there are some things he says in the Bible that's God's will for all of us. But right now I'm talking about those things that might be different with regards to each one of us. And I think for the Lord, I think it's significant what church you go to. What church you participate? Let me just say, and I'm going to say this, and I've said this for 30 years of ministry, and I don't know if people pay attention to me or not, and there's nothing I can do, but I can keep saying it. But listen, before you leave your local church, and whether you leave your local church because your job transferred you, 
or because you had a career change, or perhaps you've just changed seasons, and I do believe there are times and seasons for people. Maybe you feel like you've outgrown it and you need something else. I get that. There's, I'm not saying God's not involved in that. Even if you're offended and you leave the church. I want to ask, do you not think it might be his will about where you need to land? People make decisions and we take jobs and we do all kinds of things without ever spying out what God's will might be for a local church. And let me just tell you something, your local church, I'm just a pastor, your local church I think is more important than your job. I think the worship of God, I know, call me a radical. I just think it's more important to know your community of faith before you know your community of work. I know that's not how it works in America. We go make our decisions, we make our plans, and then we figure out where we're going to land because there's 10,000 churches all around us. Surely one of them's God's will. How presumptuous are we? Oh God, I'll give, see, this is our, our thinking. Because there's 10,000 of them, then one of them must be God's will. How do you know that? Isn't that kind of presumptuous? I think it's kind of presumptuous. Maybe that's significant to the Lord. Maybe more important that he puts you somewhere like that than even your job. I think your kid's education is significant to God. I think their training is significant to God. I think these things need to be prayed about. What's the will of God? So that's number, what did I say? That's number one. The will of God should be our chief aim. Number two, the will of God is a pursuit more than a place. That's number two. The will of God is a pursuit more than a place. Paul says we must press on and reach forward continually to apprehend that which we were apprehended for. What I mean by this is, is that God's will certainly lands you in a place. But that's usually all we think about in the will of God. But how many of you know the totality of his will rarely stops at that place? It expands, it increases. In various ways, there's a lot more to it. For example, I'll just give you examples. For example, God's will may be for you to get married. God's will may be for you to marry the person that you're getting married to. And let me just say this. Once you say, I do, before a man of God, in covenant before God, you have now found the will of God. That's the will of God. The will of God isn't five or six, ten years later say, I think I made a mistake, so I'll divorce this one and go marry another one. That, nope, now you're out of the will of God. But how many of you know that just because you found the one and you married the one, the will of God doesn't end at the event? The will of God continues. Even as the couple, in the pursuit, there's a journey. And in this journey... I mean, there's expansion and enlargement. And so it's really important as we talk about the will of God, we understand the journey to the will of God. Now, many of you know, and you probably saw it for a brief period of time on social media on Thursday, that I said that I had a big announcement that I was ready to make. And you hadn't heard any big announcement yet, have you? Honestly, on Thursday, I thought I had some things nailed down with regards to a location. In fact, at 12 noon on Thursday, I was told everything was nailed down. Go ahead. You can share it. And so I did. And by 6 o'clock, it wasn't quite as nailed down. It became tentative again. 
And I remember having to go back to social media and I had to take off all those teasers that I put out there. And all of a sudden I felt really foolish. But I'm here to tell you something. The Lord also spoke to me as I was doing this message and he spoke to me about this. He says, listen, the will of God's a journey. You got to want you got to want the journey. And some of us some of us don't do journeys well. Some of us are pretty are just are just we just don't like precarious. We don't we don't like anything that could look a little bit shaky. I don't even know what we would do if if we were Abraham. We venerate Abraham and in order to receive an inheritance, he went to a land that he knew not, not knowing where he was going. I mean, that's the Bible. I'm just telling you this is a journey. And as much as, as I want to always give you great news, and, and, and maybe not everybody can follow everything that goes behind the scenes. I'm just an excited guy and want you to know. But let me tell you something. The bottom line is this. I want God's door to open to His will. And if it's not His will, then close the door. And I just want to rejoice. Glory be to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's His will. Because here's the deal. You can get your open door or what you think is your open door, but if it's not the will of God, you'll wish He'd shut the door. Now I'm talking to somebody here. It's a journey. We want the open doors. We like the open doors. Open doors are good things. But you just don't have open doors just because it's a convenient thing or it's a happy thing. We open doors or watch open doors or walk through open doors because it's the will of God. So if God closes a door, we rejoice. We rejoice with as much fervency as if He opened a door. Amen? Amen. Hear me. If the, if the relationship with the person doesn't work out and God closes the door, be glad you're single. Better single than miserable. Amen. Amen. Close those doors. So the, the will of God for your life, for my life, for our life is even farther than the next place God may have for us. And then finally, number three, the will of God is, however, knowable and apprehendable. Now, what does it say? Apprehensible. apprehensible. No, it's apprehendable. So it's apprehendable. I probably mistyped it. Apprehendable. God is not hiding His will. Now, there's always going to be a certain mystery to the will of God in our life. And that's part of our walk by faith. But God's will is not entirely a mystery. I want to read to you several verses that I think will be on the screen. And I just want you to see what Paul says. All right, Ephesians 1 Beginning with verse 7, I just want to read these passages. It says, In Him, meaning Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Listen, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. So there are some things that may seem like a mystery, but He wants you to know. Ephesians 5.17, it says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So again, we can know the will of God. And then finally, in Colossians 1 verse 9, it says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, 
do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So there will be, I I admit, this is a tension you're going to live with. In fact, next week we're going to talk about plan B. Is there a plan B? You want to talk about a tension. The tension between what happens if I mess up? What happens if I make a bad decision? What happens if I don't want God's will? I mean, what, what happens then? Is there a plan B or not? Or how do I get back on the right track? Or is that forever elusive? We're going to answer some of those questions. But you need to first understand that you've got to love the will of God. And the second thing you need to understand is that he wants you to find it. He's not just holding carrots in front of you. Now, life may feel that way, but understand that God has a heart to let you know his will. And yes, you're going to have to walk some by faith. His will may only be a step or two. He may not give you ten steps. But if he gives his will in a step or two, that's enough to get you moving. Okay, now I'm going to share some things right now that are going to help you. And I would encourage you maybe to write it down because there's going to come a moment when you're going to have to change your job, when you're going to have to make a decision, when you're going to have to go somewhere where you're going to have the will of God pounding at your face saying, what is it that God wants me to do? I'm going to, I'm going to share a couple things that you might want to keep in front of you so that you can begin to discern and apprehend what it may be the Lord is leading you to. All right. Now, before I get to that, I'm going to say, why is it hard to find God's will? I'm going to go through this real rapidly. Why is it hard for you to find God's will at times? Number one is a lack of surrender. I told you last week with that blank contract, you cannot know the will of God if you haven't made the surrender of your will. That's what Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 that we read. You must present your body a living sacrifice so you might prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So if you refuse to surrender, do not come to me saying, what's the will of God? Because you've got to surrender your will before he'll even begin to unveil his will. So dogmatic, unyielding, unbroken people will always struggle finding the will of God. Number two, compromised life with sin. It's interesting, you know, the Greek word is harmatia, is the actual Greek word, and that word literally means to miss the mark. It's like an arrow that's being shot at, at a, a, you know, a bullseye, a dartboard. Uh, what do they call those? Is that what, am I calling it right? It's slipping my mind, but you know what I mean. It's target. So, so if you're shooting an arrow at the target, you know, what you're trying to do is hit the bullseye. But the word harmatia, which is translated sin, actually means to miss the mark. Now hear me when I say this. If there's compromise in your life with sin, it means that because of the nature of sin, you can't hit the mark. You'll never get in the center of God's will compromised in sin. And again, we're going to talk about this next week about what do I do when I mess up? Because there's an answer to that. But right now, the thing you need to know is you need as in as much as it is possible to walk uncompromised and cleansed before God so that you might be in the center of his will. And the third thing as to why it's hard to find the will of God is wrong motives. I have found many people want to know God's will, but they want to know God's will so they can consider it. Are you following me? They don't necessarily want to do it, but they want to consider it. To them, 
It's like it's a choice. It's like, okay, what's God's will? Okay, that's, a, that, that's, that's, that's an alternative. All right, that's an option. Listen, if God is calling you to something, or if God is unveiling something to you, to him who knows what is right and does not do it, the scripture says, to him it is sin. See, God isn't saying, this is what I'm calling to you. Now, you know, when he says make a decision, it's not like make a decision so I'll bless you which, either way you want to go. That's not what God's saying. When he says make a decision, he's saying choose you therefore this day whom you will serve. Right. And your response needs to be, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. I remember years ago, I had a guy, this is no joke. I mean, I'm telling you some stories, but this is a guy who said to me, he said that God had called him to ministry, but... He was going to put away, and, and he made mega bucks. He was going to put away $10 million in the savings. And he would probably do it. It'd probably take him probably 15 years to do it, but he would do it. But he was going to put $10 million away in savings before he would respond to the call of God to the ministry. Can I tell you something is wrong that's going on inside of that man? You, that's not how it works. It's not, okay, okay, I'll get to it, you know, when, when everything's in order, when I have all my ducks in a row, when I have the nest egg, when I have the security. Here's what the Holy Spirit does at times. He reveals God's plans to a person who chooses to ignore them. Then later on down the road, they decide to check in with the will of God again, and they find it hard to get clarity. Why is it? Because you got to repent for your disobedience to what God had told you to do maybe years ago. See, God's not a fool. We think God's like grandpa and we can snow him. If you ignore the Lord and his leadership, then your motives have been revealed and he will first deal with you about getting your heart right because your heart's not right. And he has to get that straight. However, if to the best of your knowledge, your life is in order and you really are sincere about wanting the will of God, I want to share with you some really practical advice. And I tell you how I want to get there. I want to get there by telling you the story. And maybe some of you have heard it. I, I don't think many of you have. But I want to share with you the story about how God called me to the ministry. Now, not everybody's called to the ministry. I'm, this, don't even think for a minute that I'm clandestinely trying to get you called to the ministry. I'm not. I'm just telling you my story. I've been saved about three months. Understand, I was, I was dumb as a brick. Because I grew up in a, a mainline denominational church that did not teach the gospel. I knew nothing about the gospel. I was 18 years old, had been to church most every Sunday of my life, and I knew zero about the Bible and zero about the gospel. It's an indictment on the church that I was attending for all 18 of those years. But I got saved. I'll just tell you, I got saved at a Nazarene church. And I remember when I got born again, it was in February of 1978. I mean, it was a radical, two-nostril experience. I, I said to the Lord, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to do that. And I hit my knees, and I laid on that mourner's bench, and I wept my way to God, and he radically converted me. But hear me when I say this. There was nothing on my radar at any moment, pre-conversion, post-conversion, that would have said, I want to go into the ministry. That wasn't on my radar. But three months later, I went to bed. It was a Saturday night. I remember this. And I had a dream. It was, it was a vivid, unforgettable dream. 
Now understand, I'm only three months old in the Lord. I don't know much Bible. I don't know much of anything about the Lord. But I had a dream. And how many of you know, I've been told by professionals that you'll dream seven, eight, nine, ten dreams a night. And you won't even remember them all. But, but I had a dream that to this day I've not forgotten. It was a dream concerning me and a friend of mine. We were the same age. We'd gone to high school together. Uh, he was already saved. And we went to the same church. And of course, they were all happy I was born again. But in this dream was this friend of mine. And he had gone off to another college. So he went out of town to college. And I stayed in town at this, this college that I was attending. But he was in the dream. And in this dream, I was standing on a platform along with my friend. And it was obvious for me, we were speaking, preaching really, from this large platform to a notable sized group of people. I woke up that morning, Sunday morning, and I thought that was really wild. It was vivid. It was wild. It stuck with me. And I got myself ready for church. I went to church that morning, and it just so happened that I ran into his sister in the hallway. And when I saw his sister, I said, hey, hey, it's funny. You know, I, I, I just want to tell you, I had the wildest thing that happened to me. Understand, I'm three months old in the Lord. So this is just kind of crazy stuff. I had the craziest dream. Your brother was in it. And I just want to share it with you, not even knowing what I'm doing. And I shared this dream with her. And, and she looked at me. She said, that's wild that you would share that with me. Because last night, I had the very same dream. What you just said to me, I had this very same dream last night. And I, you know, we, I, I, but I didn't know anything. I can't connect dots. I can't put two and two together. And I just said, wow, that's. That's wild. And so uh, we go through church and uh, later that day, uh, there was a phone call. My phone rang and it was my friend who'd gone away to this other college. And he was calling me on the phone, which was kind of unusual because we'd not really kept up with one another. And on the phone, he says, Kevin, I want to call you and I want to tell you about the strangest dream I had last night. And he begins to tell me with the same detail that his sister's dream had as well as my dream had. He begins to tell me with the exact same detail the very same dream that he had. And I said on the phone, have you talked to your sister? No, I haven't talked to my sister. Well, I said, you might want to phone call her. Because she told me today that she'd had this same exact dream. And I'm telling you that I woke up last night and I had this same exact dream. And I remember on the phone, I said to him, what do you think this is all about? See, I'm just dumb as a brick. How many of you know that you're beginning to figure out what God's trying to communicate here? He had to say, well, Kevin, I think God's calling me to the ministry. Really? I'd never considered that. <laughs> and all of a sudden, when he said that across the phone line to me, something clicked. I didn't understand how your spirit worked. I didn't understand how you hear from God. I didn't understand confirmation. I didn't understand anything. But at that moment, it was as if God said, you too. You too. Now, I tell that story, and 40 years later, telling that story, that seems really obvious. And indeed it was. In fact, sometimes people have said, well, if God would speak to me that obviously, I'd obey him as well. Listen, I have never had God speak to me that obviously again. 
It was like one time because he just knew I'd just be too dumb to get it any other way. That's how some of us want it. We want it so clear. But hear me when I say this. If he gives it to you that clear, it's really saying something about your perception. So I said, me too. And I've already told you that I didn't even know what I was signing up for. I was just happy. I was converted. I was happy. I wasn't going to hell anymore. I was going to heaven. I was excited about it. Something had changed in me. And God's asking me to do His will. Yay, yes. And so I went after it. Obviously learning a whole lot about God's will after I said yes. I wish I could tell you that every time God speaks to you, it would be like that. I can't, in 40 years, one time, it was that clear for me. Other than that one time, when I was three months old in the Lord, other than that time, I have to do it like you have to do it. I have to get on my knees. I have to seek God. I have to cry out. I'm trying to weigh these thoughts. I'm trying to measure my surroundings. I'm trying to get a hold and apprehend of what God is asking me to do. And can I just say, sometimes he's just hard to get a hold of. But the Bible says it's not impossible to get a hold of him. While I rejoice in that one moment, I can't live off that one moment. I have to live on a journey. And live in this walk. And so I've had to learn, and I've learned it through the Bible, I've learned it through some experience. I've learned how to begin to apprehend. Because you understand what I'm talking about right now is very subjective. I can look through this room, I can almost name everybody's name in the room. And God has a will that He wants you to accomplish. And it's yours. And it's subjective in some ways. Now, we'll read at the end of the month. I'm going to read to you some things that are God's will for your life. And I don't care what your name is. It's for everybody. But there are other things that he's going to have that's just for you. Nobody else. It's you. And the question is, how do you begin to apprehend or get a hold of this? And I'm here to tell you, even as a pastor, how do I get a hold of this at times? I'm trying to apprehend what God has for us as a church. And I'm telling you, I feel like... I'm this fish watching this lure at times. That's how I feel. And you may not like it. I don't know how much I like it. But we've got to stay on the journey to apprehend the will of God because he's got a will for us. He's got a will for you. And he's got a will for me. Now, how do we know the will of God? Write this down quickly. I'm going to do this fast because I'm not going to elaborate aside from just telling you. How do we know the will of God? Write down Psalm 143.10. Psalm 143.10. It says this. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. I was Googling some things the other day. And there was one site that said simple steps in knowing the will of God. I started laughing. If it's so simple, why is everybody struggling? We must be taught to find and do the will of God. Teaching is not necessarily complex, but you need some instruction to clarify how you access that which you're seeking. So all of these or some of these, I'll say that again, all of these or some of these next remarks are going to help you discern the will of God. All right? 
It could be all of them. It may just be some of them. But you're the one that's going to have to figure it out. Number one is this. This is, this is so simple. Number one is pray and ask. You have not because you... You know, I just think sometimes we just ought to ask, Lord, what's your will? Pray and just say, Lord, I'm seeking your will. I want your will. Do you have some input into this moment? Do you want to give me leadership? Pray and ask. 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 Number two. I believe there are moments we have unmistakable impressions from God. I think we miss them at times. Now, I don't know that you act instantly on every impression you get, but when you have one of those unmistakable impressions, I do believe you need to keep it before the Lord and you need to meditate on its purpose. There'll be these impressions. Maybe you'll hear a message. Maybe someone will share something with you. Maybe, maybe you're in school and, and, and there's a career choice and you just, you just, there's this impression. It's a subjective thing, but you need to, Measure that thing and keep it before the Lord. Number three, scriptural confirmation. How do you know the will of God? Well, here's the deal. I, I don't believe God's will ever violates his word. So, so I believe the scripture can confirm or, or it could tell you maybe not to do these sorts of things. All right, scriptural, scriptural confirmation. If you know, God's calling you to be you know, a drug runner out of the Bahamas... I can pretty much tell you, you probably aren't listening to the Holy Spirit at that particular moment. I could give you scriptural reasons why that probably isn't a wise career choice. Number four is this, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. This is what we call assurance at times. It's, it's, it's again, a subjective thing. It's that moment, for instance, when you were born again. In fact, Paul said in Romans, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, people oftentimes will say, well, how do you know that you're born again? How do you know that you're a child of God? How do you know that, that you're in right standing with God? Because, like Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And there is an inner witness of the Holy Spirit, or there is an inner assurance, because if you don't have an assurance, then, then there could be something out of kilter here. So when you apprehend the will of God, there should be some sense of assurance of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, it could be all of these or some of these. I'm not saying that all seven have to happen, but I am saying that these are the things that help you apprehend the will of God. Number five, I think is so important and it gets overlooked as well. I call it a trend of circumstances or what we would know as providence. Providence. When circumstances unfold, there is oftentimes the unseen hand of God at work. For example, if a deal, like you're trying to make a deal and it collapses, well, that can be frustrating, but it might be the providence of God. Or when a door finally shuts or, or, or an opportunity is presented, those are, those are circumstances trending that may be the providence of God at work. When you're fired or when you're released, maybe God's will. When resources dry up, you know, it's an interesting story. There's a story about Elijah whose brook dried up. Do you remember that story? His brook dried up and, and that brook was resourcing him with water and other things. But why did God let the brook dry up? 
Because the brook really represents sustenance that all of us need in order to be maintained as human beings. God's not against you drinking water, but His brook dried up. Why did the brook dry up? It's because God was trying to get Him to leave that brook. Sometimes brooks dry up in order to get you moving, and it's the only way God can get you moving. I want you just to think about Joseph's life. Think about David's life. Think about all the things that happened in their life and ask yourself the providence of God in all that's going on around them. Sometimes the will of God is manifest by just the trend of circumstances. Now hear me, I, I do believe on this one, you can't measure everything on this one because the enemy can make things happen around you too. So you got to make sure probably you got several things that are working together. Number six, godly wisdom. Do impartial and unbiased counselors see or hear anything from God in this regard? Impartial and unbiased counselors. Can they see or hear anything from God? And then number seven, and this is the last one, it's this. Consecrated desires. To the person who has truly submitted their will to do God's will, hear me, the Lord wants to give you the desires of your heart. That's what the Bible says. The Lord wants to give you that which has been consecrated unto Him. So in other words, if you've been believing God or you've, been, or you've had a hope and a promise or, 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 or a desire that you're saying, man, that would be really cool, Lord, if you could bring that to pass. Listen, there are times those desires, if they're consecrated before the Lord, I believe God says, that was your heart's desire. It's consecrated before me. It's yours. And I believe that's within the will of God as well. Now, the bottom line to the will of God is this. You must find it. And then you must obey it because ultimately you're responsible for the journey. We all talk about the priesthood of believers. And here's where the priesthood of believers gets real individualized. And that is God indeed has a will for you. He's a will for your household. But you have to own and be responsible for that journey. The good news is God isn't hiding it. He's not playing a game with you to find it. And next week we're going to talk about what happens when you think you missed it or you messed it up. How in the world does this thing get untangled? That may be the more important one. Because is there any of us who has ever felt like we might maybe have messed up? The will of God. Can I just, I can tell you this. Adam and Eve probably wondered if they messed up the will of God. Don't you think? I think so too. I'm going to pray that God's will, His kingdom come, His will be done in your life as it is in heaven.